And welcome to another episode of the Woods Water Mizzou podcast. I'm on your regular coast skater along with me, not as usual, are Case and Cole. How y'all doing? Good. How do y'all? Fellas, uh, we have the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Mizzou hero this year, uh, recruiting and analyst expert, Clint Cosgrove. How are you doing, Clint? I'm just fired up to be here. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. We're good, man. We're good. We're happy you're here. We talked, I don't know, whatever that was, probably 15 minutes in the pre-show about your uh, your rise to fame within the, the MMA and, and just Twitter as a whole. You could probably, you know, I mean, I feel like write a coffee table book on, on your uh, your coming to fame within the Mizzou fandom. But, yeah, man, we're, we're just happy you're here. Hey, MMA, Mizzou fandom, uh those are my people. Like I've uh, I've had a I've had a blast this year. I'm telling you, it's like between my you know friends on staff, players that I've known since they were like freshmen in high school, and I mean like you guys are lit on Twitter. And uh, you know I I feel like uh, Missouri's all of a sudden I'm a part of me. So I'm excited to talk everything Missouri. Excited to be on here, and I appreciate it from you guys. Let's let's go back to. The summer, it may have been toward end of summer or somewhere in there, but you put in a future cast for uh, Winery out of Kansas City to Mizzou. Did you know what was to come just from you doing that? I mean, <laughs> the, the fanfare uh, and the following you got off of that was massive. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. I got absolutely uh, – is this like PG audience? What What are we You're dealing good. with? You're, You're good. good. You're good. All right. I got absolutely ass-ripped and made fun of by every fan base. They're like, who's this effing clown saying that – you know, because like it wasn't – people stopped even covering his recruitment. You know, they're like, oh, he's going to Oklahoma, you know, unless like Georgia or Alabama, you know. And – um so the funny thing is I was coming off paternity leave. And when you're on paternity leave, you have more time than you've ever had in your life. Not at the same time, but you do. Like uh, I'm used to like not sleeping, always reading, always keeping up, always on the phone, always networking. Like, you know, I, I would take a couple hours off if the kid was sleeping and stuff like that. And then so I just, you know. I had about three weeks of that built up where I was able to just network, call around, ask questions. Because when I came back from paternity leave, I was like, I've got to do something. Um, because a lot of things I, I kind of keep internal. I, I, I don't want to let my sources out. Uh, I'm very careful about how I go about things. Uh, to be honest, like the kids are first and foremost, like my first priority. Uh, they come first. I, I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. But uh, I was like, I got to come out with something. So I had literally planned on coming with a big story when I came back. And, uh, you know, after my kind of weeks of of talking to people, uh, various, various people in various, various aspects in and out of football, I decided I would come back and put in a future cast for Williams to Missouri, not tweet about it not do anything and you talk about missouri twitter presence that shit didn't last a secret for more than a minute like it was out there it was out there so there was a lot of work that went into that you know a, 
a lot of what we do, I think in the media, there's some things that take five minutes and you can put out an article or a video and stuff like that. But like, to me, like the big hitting things, it takes time relationships and sometimes knowing what nobody else knows because you ask the people that nobody else would ask and you do the research that nobody else does. Um, so when I put in that future cast, I just gotten off about an hour and a half of calls and did a little digging into the new NIL stuff. And I said, I tell you what, and this is funny because I was with Williams from the beginning. I told him he's going to be a five-star. We used to talk all the time, you know, and I understand it. When these kids blow up, it is hard when you've got 50 coaches hitting you up a day, 50 team sites hitting you up a, a day, you know, eight of these national guys hitting you up a day. Like it's a lot. And, and some guys just don't want to deal with it. And, you know, it's a dream until it isn't. So, you know, Williams stopped responding and I was like, well, that kind of gets, gives me freedom to, you know, report how I want to report. I know what I know. And I said at the time, I said, Williams may not know that he's going to Missouri yet. I was like, but I know he's going to Missouri. And I know for a fact he's going to Missouri. Um, and like my sources, literally my friends on the Missouri staff, they don't give me shit or stuff. They don't give me anything. Like they'll give me like a thumbs up if I ask about a visitor or something like that. But they keep everything secret. Coach Frank, like even amongst his staff, he keeps things pretty secret. So uh, I had some intel. I knew what a lot of people didn't know about the actual NIL law. Um, and the streets – in Missouri, they talk to me. I've been there for a long time. I have experience. <laughs> and uh, so I knew that was going to happen. Like I say, I got absolutely ridiculed. It was the biggest joke. If you're like, how does this clown hang on to it? Because I did go on a, a podcast uh, with the Oklahoma site and I did a fact or fiction with them. And I was like, um, yeah, I would still say he's leaning towards Oklahoma right now. They're like, what kind of ass clown says he's leaning towards Oklahoma? <laughs> But it's certain he's going to Missouri. I was like, because he's leaning towards Oklahoma, but he's going to go to Missouri. And that was the honest to God truth. And sometimes I can't tell people why I know what I know, but I knew what I knew and it ended up being a fact. And so, um, and really up until the day before his announcement, everybody ridiculed me across the industry. But then I think it was Steve Wiltfong who started doing some digging because he's like, Clint wouldn't, you know, put his reputation on the line just to, you know, get some clicks or, and then to ultimately just be, you know, made a fool in the end. And um, so he did some digging and he found out some things that I knew. And all of a sudden he flipped his, or his, it was their crystal ball. It was future cast for us at rivals. He flipped it. And then you see the boom, 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 boom. And it was like, Everybody knew. So, yeah, I mean, maybe there was some luck involved, but uh, I mean, I, I, I saw the writing on the wall. I knew what I knew. I knew very intimate details of what I knew and I knew it was going to happen. And um, even after he commit, he announced and like a big thing with those predictions are it's more about the announcement, at least at rivals, because I can't flip a prediction unless a kid decommits if they flip you know i'm stuck with that so like you know there's been kids that i film with and i one of the reasons kids film with me is i won't put their secret out there 
had them uh, future casted elsewhere. Uh, you know, I, I just, I couldn't flip if they're committed. I won't flip even if I know, cause I don't want to ruin their moment. It's about the kid, but it was funny to see that happen. And that's kind of where uh, the Missouri love and our relationship that has become very, very tight and close uh, began. I believe you could run for uh, governor of the state of Missouri and, as long as you run your Twitter campaign right, I think you would get the votes. So. Yeah, you'd get some pretty good votes just off <laughs> just off Twitter alone. Yeah, will you guys on be Twitter, on my campaign? Like, sure, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You keep putting in uh, accurate, you know, predictions. Hey, we'll back you for sure. So, well, oh, go ahead, go, I'm sorry, but I was just gonna kind of tell everybody like who you are and how you got into. Uh, fall in love with football the way you did you know you kind of told us a little bit there pre-show but uh i don't know that just the general audience would know this yeah um i guess i'm a product of nepotism in the football world uh i'm not afraid to say it because you know like it'll get you in but it'll also like if you mess up you're the first one fired like everybody's looking for a reason to fire the guy that uh you know, that was, you know, didn't earn their way in. So, no, really, I was born, my dad, in 1982, my dad was like 20, I don't know, 26, 27. He was on Mike White's staff at University of Illinois. Uh, um, so, I mean, like, guys like Bill Callahan, who gave me my first job at Nebraska, Brad Childress, old head coach of the Vikings. Um, uh, I mean, ton of guys, ton of guys who went on to have a bunch of success. My dad, Kevin Cosgrove. Um, so he was coaching Illinois, coaching the Rose bowl when he was young, all this stuff. And so I was born into it. And I was one of those kids that like a lot of coaches, kids, they, um, you know, they're like, Oh, that's my dad's job. He's gone a lot and all that. And like, to me, I was like, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I was like, my dad's a football coach. And this is like, from like the age of like five, I wanted to be at practice every single day. I wanted to tackle dummies. I wanted to put on a helmet and these 300 pounders, I wanted to go and try to tackle them too. So like, I was just like a football junkie from a young age. My mom would have to take me to practice all the time. And then, you know, as I got older, uh, my dad was hired by Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin back in like 1990. He was on his original staff. And uh, Barry was incredible about, and you don't see this as much, nowadays where like coaches kids hang around the office and all that stuff like Barry let us hang around and um and then as things got a little tighter uh because I love the game because I could sit in on meetings and like ask questions and I wasn't there on the office just like a lot of other kids like I was still around allowed to hang out I would go to like back in the day they'd go to the seminary where where all the priests used to live because they had football fields there and stuff for, for preseason camp. They'd stay there the entire time. And I'd go and stay there. I'd go to every practice. I'd sit in meetings and like, I would go in and, and evaluate with my dad. My dad was, uh, you know, my dad's a phenomenal person. Um, you know, he's, he's my hero. He's the reason I ended up doing this, but I would sit there and I'd pick his brain nonstop. I would literally get in the car with him when he went on recruiting trips and just, I'd be like, dad, I'm coming with. And I'd sit in that seat and I would sit there and look at his book with all the notes and all the contacts, ask questions about every kid. 
Then we'd sit there and watch film. I remember Jamar Fletcher when he was coming out at Hazelwood East back in the day and he was a quarterback. And I used to like, I would challenge my dad on everything. Cause I wanted to know more and more and more. And I'm like, he plays quarterback. How do you know he's going to be a great defensive back? And he would like, you know, just break down his, his body mechanics and his footwork and all these things. And so like, you know, I knew my whole life I wanted to be a part of football. I wanted to play in the NFL. Uh, I didn't come close. Um, I, I physically couldn't hold up. Uh, I had speed and that's probably about it. But um, I was medically DQ'd by my sophomore year, uh, transferred to Arizona State. I was at Wisconsin at the time. Knew I wanted to get back into coaching the second I graduated. I was at University of Nebraska like two weeks later as an as an analyst. And, uh, you know, that's where it started. I uh, got out of coaching after seven, eight years at the Division One level at Minnesota, Dartmouth, Nebraska. Uh, got into scouting. I was trying to get out of football totally. Ended up scouting. So I just evaluated guys and, and was paid by colleges. And then one day I got a call from Yahoo and Rivals and ended up here. Well, actually not here, but there and now here. And now I'm here with you guys. So that's the background. My dad's a coach. My dad always recruited St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and uh, yeah, I kind of got my doctorate from him and been doing it professionally for since I graduated. So I don't know. It's like, what? Probably. I don't know. I've been doing this for like 17 years professionally on top of growing up in it. That's, that's long. That's cool. a long time. That's a lot of experience to, you know, you've seen a lot of football players. You've watched a lot of football tape, um, you know, evaluated a lot of, I don't mean to call them kids. They're young men. Um, but yeah, I call them kids. It's okay. That's true, I guess. I mean, they are kids, but, you know, by, I guess by definition of the law. Anyhow, it's um, it's just incredible how, you know, you talk so much about the, the recruiting aspect. And this is kind of one thing that I wanted to, I guess, use as a segue. Um, it, it seems as if the there's almost less of an importance, not that it's not important, but it does seem like the college game is starting to focus a little more towards, you know, capitalizing on the portal, um, you know, portal evaluation. And, and I can see why teams are doing that, of course, because, you know, these guys like you have already evaluated, evaluated these players, you know, in high school, they've gotten their star rankings, whatever they've made it to the D one or D two level. Um, they may even have some game tape uh, if, if, if they played or at least seen the field in some capacity. So is that, I guess what I'm getting at is, are you kind of seeing that as well from the professional side of, you know, coaches are starting to focus a little heavier on the portal or is it 60, 40, 55, 45? I mean, what's the, what's the split that you're seeing on that? I think it's a case by case basis. I mean, we see teams that literally only recruit the portal. Um, I guess if you look at it from, I mean, there's a couple different ways to look at it. Recruiting high school kids, especially highly recruited high school kids, you're recruiting them for two, three years. That means you're in contact with them every day. Even if you get them committed, they can flip on you in the last second, right? So that's a lot oh, yeah. of work. Now, to me, if you want to have a big-time program, like you're never going to see Alabama go and sign 20 portal kids, 
Okay. Now Alabama's different. I understand that, but um, I still believe that college football's base and it's cyclical will end up being, especially for most programs, developmental from the high school level, but it has definitely changed. So you get to this point and now schools see who's in the portal and the, the grass isn't always greener because a lot of guys enter the portal only to stay in the portal and never come out of it. Um, uh, I would say that, you know, like Michigan state is a prime example. Uh, it's a quick fix. Uh, Mel Tucker went into the portal and all of a sudden, you know, they're a championship contender like two years later, but then what you see is they're stuck in the portal. So if you put your whole, all of your chips in the portal, you're constantly replacing players. Now, if you do it right, and some of these guys, and especially coming out of COVID, things were different. There was a lot of guys who should have been at the Division One level, ended up at lower levels because cut, recruiting got cut off. Guys couldn't go on visits. Schools were sticking with the guys that they had done evaluations on, that they knew, that they had seen in person, everything like that. And so guys ended up at lower levels. So I think a lot of what we see today is a product of that. The other product is, you know, everyone sees a guy jumping, you know, like, uh, the running back for you guys. I mean, like, they're like, yeah, oh, Coach he went Schrader. from D2. He can, yeah, he, he he goes from D2. He can – I can do that too. So there's like, you know, it's almost like living the dream. Now, there are guys who develop later who end up at schools that, you know, had they had another year of high school or, or two years of high school, they would have never been at that school. Um, so uh, – but like when looking at the portal for me, I think it is a way to supplement your roster. It is a way to fill holes. It is a way to get a difference maker. You know, like you can't win games at the college football level, at an elite level in the SEC without a quarterback. Like he needs to be at the very least above serviceable. And so if I have everything else in place and the one thing I'm missing is a quarterback, I'm sure as hell going to get a quarterback in the portal. Um, what that does is it creates competition and weeds people out. If a guy doesn't want to compete, I don't want him in my program anyways, especially at the quarterback position, they'll transfer out. Uh, it, we've seen guys, you know, a big name quarterback transfers in and they don't end up being the guy because it elevated the guys below them who had a chip on their shoulder. So I think positionally, um, you know, like if I'm a quarterback right now and I have division one committable offers, I'm jumping on the first one I can get because the second this portal opens, they're going for the guy with experience who has a couple of years left. There's multiple ways you can approach it. You can take guys to fill uh, immediate needs, which I think most schools do. They look for that. I think the best way, in my opinion, so that you're not stuck in the portal, is you look for guys that are either, one, connected to your state, like you look at Toriano Pride, right? Mm -hmm. To me, that's a no-brainer. He's familiar with the program, has friends on the team. You know he's a culture fit. You know everything about him because you recruited him. That is an easy take. It's a difference maker at a position that you're going to be replacing. That's an easy take. Um, the schools that tend to go all in on the portal, they tend to be replacing, like I said, every single year. 
So I would say the most important thing is culture fit. If you're going into the portal, is there a connection? Do you know enough about them? Are they going to fit in? And number of years they have left. I have no problem with the school taking a kid with three years left. Like I don't even consider that a portal take, you know, they're basically just got out of high school, maybe missed opportunity for one reason or another. I think you really have to choose your battles when you're taking one year kids because it can affect the whole team, the whole chemistry. And it has to be for a very specific reason with very specific intent. And hopefully it helps other players at that position develop. But so many schools look at what Dion did. So many schools look at what Mel Tucker did. And they're like, I get the instant fix. I get my next job. I get paid. To me, that's not the long-term solution for college football. You have to be very strategic in it. The portal opens later for a reason. A lot of kids are already committed, so that's a good thing. The bad thing is if it commits, uh, you know, kind of uh, waffling or flip-flopping or deciding they want to take their their own visits, school quick quickly replace you, you know, in the portal. So, um, yeah, it may seem like the portal's taking everything over. For some programs, it is. I would say as a whole, it seems more prevalent because of the big name players that are in it and they're the ones making the headlines they're the ones getting you know all of the pub but uh the portals i I think eventually will level out but like the number of players in it versus the number of spots and the number of guys who are going to find homes absolutely like it's there's no correlation i think you kind of alluded to this when you said that but uh I was going to ask about this because this affected some of my family. I had a cousin uh, played college basketball and um, multiple schools and reached out to him all had backed off because of COVID year players. And these players with extra years had really just messed stuff up. They were like, Hey, we're not taking guards right now, especially when we can grab uh, these D2 levels, like take D1 bounce downs. So basically all that, what, are things going to level off more when the COVID players have all cycled out? When the COVID year players are gone, we're back to a more standard length of a college career. Yeah, I, I think definitely. Um, you know, we were trending more towards, you know, three and four year players than four and five year players before we went to six and seven year players because yeah. of COVID. So I think a four-year cycle to kind of get that out, like a lot of these guys just kind of hung on. They loved being part of the team. You know, they wanted to get their master's degree. They're like, I've done everything to keep my scholarship. Why not just ride this out for another year? You know, and so that really hurt high school recruiting. Guys who aren't committed by now, the portal's really going to hurt high school recruiting. But once those sixth-year, seventh-year guys get out of the system, we're only going to see them in special situations moving forward. God forbid there's another pandemic (laughs) would be one of them. Uh, But, you know, serious injury situations, mental health situations, whatever it is, there's not going to be a lot of those. So that's going to free up spots for high school players. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of teams are looking for guys who can make an impact early. That used to be JUCO. Now it's the portal. Um, and, uh, every school is going to take a different, uh, you know, approach to it. I talked with Brett Bielema, you know, he's only going to take guys that are an automatic difference maker that he has background on, or if they're from the state of Illinois, you know, they're not just taking guys to take guys. And I think 
ultimately that's the approach. You, you fill immediate holes. You're looking for guys who have a connection to your school that you have background on, you have relationships on, and you're not going to the portal just for the sake of going to the portal because then you're stuck on it. Yeah. But what does, you know, focusing all this talk of recruiting and portal, what does a 10 and two uh, season for Missouri, what, what do you see that doing momentum wise long-term? I mean, right now you, you, you know, you have Drink saying for the first time in his career, he's not recruiting. He's picking and choosing. Uh, Coach Carl Reed says he's got players, you know, emailing him, say, hey, can you get my stuff to, to Coach Drink? Like, I want to be a Missouri Tiger, you know. But what does a 10-2 and two and a Cotton Bowl bid do for this program, uh, not only now, but long term? I mean, it's a game changer. Uh, like, legit game changer. Uh, when I was in St. Louis, uh, and I used to spend a lot more time there, but the last time I was there was, you know, leading up to Ryan Wingo's commitment and just from talking to people and talking, you know, Carl Reed's a good friend of mine. Um, you know, there was talk, like I was told back then that Toriano was, was going to be at Missouri this year. Um, there was another group of players, uh, some have not even entered the portal yet that were also uh potentially coming home and still could come home if they don't decide to do so this year um 10 and 2 at Missouri drink having some swag talking some shit uh Luther Burden staying home you know there's a buzz and it wasn't cool to stay at Missouri if you were from Missouri before now they're 10 and 2 they're playing in the SEC. Coach Drink is is like doing things, like literally on national TV shows, pulling up like, oh, Connor Stallion's on the phone. Like, we, <laughs> I, I knew, I knew he had that in him, but you can't do those things unless you have ten and two, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you have, you know, some respect on your name, you can't go out and do those things. So. Once you have that respect, once you have that pull, it's all about capitalizing on it. The Luther Burden effect is real. He is a leader. Kids are drawn to him. Are you going to get every kid because of it? No. Are you going to get every kid because of 10 and 2? No. Uh, some guys just want to go to blue blood programs. Some guys want to get as far away from home as possible. I get it. Uh, but the, the environment that I saw at the stadium the, when I was there for the South Carolina game, the streak that you guys went on, and I looked at the roster. My dad was on the LSU staff in 2019 when they won the national championship. And I'm telling you right now, the Missouri roster is just scratching the surface of what those dominant SEC teams look like. And they hit 10-2 and two this year and competed with the best. You know, you know, taking big-time teams down to the wire. And they found a way to win. So schools that have had, you know, struggles – you know, getting that 9, 10, 11 win plateau, one of the biggest things is is getting there, believing that you win. So now when you come into the Missouri program, there's a belief that we're going to win. Okay, with that belief, there's also a draw of kids in the area. It's like, it's cool to be at Missouri. They believe they're going to win. I believe they're going to win. Uh, the top players, the five stars, the, the high four stars, you know, Wingo and McClellan, they don't even talk about Missouri in years past. I'm uh, that, That's honest, maybe. Maybe they don't get signed, but they're in the picture. Like, they're in the conversation. They're talking about Missouri. 
And so I think this has long lasting effects. Is it guaranteed? No, but this is a time to capitalize. And uh, they overachieved this year. Sometimes when you overachieve, the next year is a big letdown. We saw that with Illinois. Illinois lost a lot of draft picks. Brett Bielema overachieved his, you know, in his second year. And people were like, oh, we found the next, you know, greatest coach ever, the next Nick Saban. And I was like, everyone's going to be let down because they don't realize how much talent they lost. Like this Missouri team's going to lose some talent, but they get a lot back as well. So they're in a very good position to capitalize on it. People, you'd be surprised. And, and you guys look at the, the MMA Twitter presence, the Missouri Twitter presence. Uh, it becomes a fishbowl at some point. And fans do have an influence. You know, do kids go out on the field worried about being booed, worried about people making fun of them on their way to class? Or do they go out saying, like, I'm the big swing and big dog of campus. I'm out here to win. And there's a swagger to the program. And when you have that, that attracts more swagger. That attracts more talent. And I think that this is uh, a 10 and 2 season in the SEC with landing big time recruits. I, I, I think it's a game changer. You know, no guarantees, but I think this is the beginning of something great. Yes, there could be a down here, year here and there. The important thing is fans, and I'm telling you, I've seen it firsthand and forth. There's a reason Nebraska struggled for years. There's a reason Texas has struggled for years with all of the resources. That fishbowl is real. So when things get hard and fans turn on the players, turn on the coaches, everybody's looking for a quick fix, a way to defend themselves. And, uh, you know, you got to find a way to, even if there's a bad point, ride the momentum because Missouri has a lot of momentum right now. I see good things in the future, and I don't think this is a flash in the pan. So I just made a very, uh, I guess, short question, a really long answer. But <laughs> that's a great answer. What yeah, that's, that's, right. that's what we're all wondering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing that can, you know, put an exclamation point on the season is is a Cotton Bowl win. Um, and, you know, there will be people saying, oh, well, you know, Ohio State had a ton of portal, you know, transfers or guys that are going to the draft or they're opting out for the draft or I don't care. Yep. You win that bowl game. And you go to eleven and two on the year, you know you win your New Year's Six Bowl, and you likely finish within the top eight in the country. Uh, you know you're. I don't put much stock into preseason rankings, but I guess in this situation, I will. I mean, that's that will bode very well looking into the next season. Um, you know, just another thing for Coach Drinkwitz and his staff to kind of put as a feather in their cap and be like, look, you know, we went from a six and seven season and losing a bowl to hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, a cotton bowl win and, and 11 and two in one season. So yeah, that, um, I, you know, and it can be compounded by, like you said, portal trend. That's something that they can kind of show to these portal guys and back. Like, Look, we had so-and-so come in last year that made a difference in one year. Um, you know, you can be that, that next difference to kind of, whether it's a depth piece, fill a hole, um, just a lot of, a lot of good happening right now in Missouri. And we're, like you said, we're just kind of riding the wave. Absolutely. And kind of piggyback what both of you guys just said was, man, you got to think uh, drink with his full mind right now has got to be if I can if I can sure up cornerback, if I can sure up maybe the left side of the line, um, he's got a chance to make this 12 team playoff next year. And if you can say that you're a playoff team now at Missouri coming out of the SEC, that has got to be an absolute just huge piece of your arsenal for recruiting these kids and getting these players and talent because. Uh, let's be honest. That's that's what like I gotta think. It's five stars, high four stars. One is they want to be able to win a championship, then go to the NFL. At least that's that's what my opinion was. That could be you know skewed. Playoffs bigger now. That gives us a better chance. 
heck, we would be in the playoff if it started this season. So, man, just getting into that now, and you got to think, having this season before has got your trajectory to where you know you can get into that. Man, that this is this has got to be uh, just a huge get for these guys. I'm trying to say huge, uh, uh, I don't know, but they're trying to get the players. Momentum shift. Yes. Momentum shift. Thank you. So where we can get these players and, you know, kind of get into this playoff situation. Well, yeah. Clint, you talked yeah, about, I mean, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Skeeter. But I, I was going to say, you, you talked about the culture uh, that, you know, from you build with the high school recruiting and, and you know, adding your pieces to the transfer portal to add to that, not to take away from it. But uh, I think a big thing we're seeing of the culture that Coach Drinkwitz has built, you know, he announced Friday that there's extensions on the desk of Blake Baker and Kirby Moore. And, you know, when a 10-2 and two Mizzou team does good and, you know, outshoot or outkicks the coverage, as they would say, you know, like – that's when the other schools come pluck your your assistant coaches and your coordinators, and these guys aren't wanting to leave. They're wanting to stay because they're they're bought in with what Drink's doing from the top. Yeah, I mean, Kirby Moore and Blake Baker are. I mean, I wrote about Blake earlier this season. I, I actually hung out with his dad on the sidelines. We just started talking because. Uh, LSU ties and I didn't know it was him, but um, I wrote about him before, you know, at the the early parts of the season that, you know, he's, he's a head coaching candidate in my mind. Dude's got a ton of juice. He's, he's a great football coach. He lives it. He loves it. Um, Kirby Moore is an offensive genius. Uh, He is very, very good. Uh, One of my good friends, Durham Cato, uh, my old roommate, we coach together at Dartmouth. He's an analyst right now, you know, works with the tight ends at Missouri, you know, just talking with him and like, you know, just schematically the things they're doing and their approach. And then, you know, seeing it uh, on the field and, and the way they do things, like it's really impressive. Your coordinators are very important. Now I think Kirby coming in this year, freed up drink to do what he does best, be a head coach, be the, you know, be the visionary. I mean, who would have thought, okay, not getting Missouri players has plagued Missouri for years. This dude comes up with a way to go to the government and get an, like a deal done for NIL. (laughs) Yeah, really? I mean, are you kidding me? Like that is freaking genius. Like if you, if you can't, if there, there's a reason you haven't been able to beat them for a long time, how could we change the playing field? And he does that. And so I think hiring Kirby freed him up to do more of those things. Blake Baker, I talked to people there. That guy's got so much juice. The players love him. You can, you cannot overstate what it means to play for a coach that you love. A coach that coaches you hard because they can rip your ass. But if you know they care about you, you're going to play hard. And those guys go to war for you. So Blake Baker, schematically, juice-wise, uh, respect from players, whatever it may be. He, he's a future head coach. Kirby Moore, he is young. The dude is incredible. I talked with uh, an NFL GM a couple weeks ago, and we were kind of talking with about a couple college offense coordinators. And I asked him about Kirby. He's like, that dude's going places. So that's the type of offensive coordinator that you have. And I'm I, to be honest, 
And it was a year where I feel like a lot of people were making power plays with their hires. They wanted established head coaches, guys that have already done it. Um, and that could change with the NFL. And, you know, there's always that effect. And But I'm shocked that Missouri hung on to both of them. You have years a year like this, and you overachieve. And make. there's no doubt about it. People who know the business, they see this Missouri team. Now, they're very, very strong in certain areas. But from top to bottom, the depth and the way a championship caliber a 10-2 team looks in the SEC, they're not there yet, and they're almost there. So for them to do things, whether it be schematically, whether it be making it easy for kids to understand basic concepts and play freely, whether it be getting players to just love you and play hard for you, like they've overachieved. Those contracts, you hope to hell that they they get signed, you know, a lot can still happen, but like, I didn't think Kirby would still be there for sure. I didn't know if Blake Baker would still be there for sure. But what you'll see is the best teams, they're coming for your coordinators every single year. Nick Saban's replacing Amer- Nick Saban's replacing analysts who take head coaching jobs. You know what I mean? So like, that's the program you want to be in. North Dakota State, Boise State for a long time. <clears throat> These kind of not really blue blood programs, but have become blue blood in their own kind of conference or in their own right, they're losing coaches left and right. But the next coach, Liberty, for a good example, that next coach has been in that system, understands that culture, is able to cultivate that, and they keep on moving on. And it's like these guys keep on having success. So when you build the level of culture that I see being built, there's no guarantees. You're eventually going to lose those guys with success. But the fact that they're still there, there's contracts on their table, like there's something brewing. I mean, these are good things. And if you lose them, there's somebody else on staff or there's somebody else that can step in. And if you do a good job, you make sure they assimilate to that culture. They don't change things too much because you're winning. You're doing things the right way. You've overachieved. A guy like Cody didn't have anything, right? Dude's arguably the the, the best running back in college football. So – you're doing the right things as a coaching staff turnover is going to happen, but uh, yeah, I definitely think that's a big thing. And if you can keep both those guys for another year, you got to appreciate it. I don't care if there's a bad game for people like, Oh, what did he do on that play or whatever it is? Like appreciate good people because if you don't, they're out the door and had Missouri not been so good to those guys back them this year. I'm sure they had opportunities, but they've got families that have all of a sudden they feel at home in Columbia. They like being there. They're in a groove. Coach Drink's got a guy on offense he trusts, a guy on defense he trusts. And, you know, it's a perfect combo. And that's all about how, you know, culture is culture's built from within, but it's also bringing in the right people from the outside, retaining talent and developing talent. And I think you're on the path to doing that. And I just need to get all the words you've said tonight in an IV and put it straight in my veins because I'm <laughs> loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it. Yeah. It's, but, it's all good stuff. <laughs> Clint, we, hey, there's we, no guarantees guys. Like, no, but no, I, I'm no, just but, telling you, this hey, is I how big things it. happen. No, yeah. I, I'll get it. Well, we appreciate you coming on. We could talk for so long, but we try to keep this around an hour and we still got to talk wrestling and basketball. Uh, and so, you're more than welcome Sweet. to stick around if you want to, or if you uh, if you want us to cut you loose, we could we could do that too. 
I'll tell you this. I know absolutely nothing about wrestling outside of WWE. Uh, I was one of my old players at Minnesota. He's Riddick Moss now on the WWE. Like, so like I follow that, but I don't know anything about actual wrestling, the real <laughs> wrestling um, and basketball. I, uh, I don't know anything about that either. So uh, I'd be tits on a bull if I stayed. And uh, I just appreciate you guys having me on, man. This was a lot of fun. And, and hopefully I wasn't too long winded. No, man. I enjoyed the hell out of your answers. That was, that was super entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. We, we really appreciate you coming on. And the, uh, the MMA is already, we, we kind of tease them and let them know that you were going to be on this podcast. It'll actually drop tomorrow morning on Monday morning. So they're, uh, they're already chomping at the bit to listen to this one and all the MMA says hi. So we really appreciate you coming on. Hey, I absolutely love you guys. When nobody else had me, you guys have my we back. We got you. We got you. <laughs> so, if you need to send an MMA, you know, to, to somebody's front doorstep, you just let us know and we'll, we'll point them in the right direction. <laughs> exactly. Hey, hey but now the, the love is real for, for real. Like you guys, you guys, I, you have helped me through hard times. I'll tell you that. And uh, yeah, no, this is a special year and it was fun to be a part of it all. Well, we're, we're excited to see your, your next steps and where you go uh, in the next coming weeks. And we'll be looking forward to that announcement and supporting you in that journey. So thank you for coming on. And for anybody that don't uh, doesn't know how to get a hold of you or follow you, you want to do a, a socials plug for yourself real quick. Sure. At rivals underscore Clint. Um, <laughs> it's still there. Hey, when I went over to Yahoo, they made me give up my Clint underscore Cosgrove and somebody magically parked my, that handle. So I don't have it anymore. And I'm known as rivals Clint anyways. Who knows? Maybe I'll end up at, uh, another place and i'll still be rivals clint, was rivals so, clint? Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, be, we can change it to miz clint how about that uh, scp M- clint there you go stp yeah Nah, i appreciate you guys rivals clint on instagram are and rival or they're both rivals underscore clint on instagram on twitter at least for the time being uh i'll have fun with that as well uh, okay, just to stay the true hero, let's sign you off here. M I Z. Come on, oh, Clint. Come on, Clint. <laughs> well, what do you want from me? Oh, you know what? You know what's so funny? Uh, for a long time. No, no, no. Listen to this. For a long time, so trained that like they scrub my social media out of there, and you'll see it on my Twitter now with LSU in the background, right? Winning mm, the national yeah. championship. I was not allowed. I played at Wisconsin, grew up there. I was not allowed to say go Badgers. I was not like, I am so conditioned to be nothing of the sort. That's what somebody said yesterday. I feel like you've been to some Missouri Christmas parties. I said, I can do whatever the hell I want now. So that's right. That's exactly right. There you go. No, that's completely understandable. You've been, uh, yep. I'm not going to say you've been brainwashed, but yeah, you may you've been I conditioned. have been. i really have like like that was scary to me to hear that and i'm like uh go ncaa 
Awesome. Well, Clint, thank you so much for coming on, and we look forward to your your next steps. Yeah, we'll be following you. Yeah, now I will. Uh, I'll keep you guys in the loop. Thanks for having me on. Love you guys. STP Miz. All right, later. Thank you, sir. See you, See you, brother. Fellas, uh, that was great having him on. Uh, but we got two other sports to talk about real quick. Wrestling dominant again. Uh, Forty. Holy to cow! They six, I believe it was. Or killed them. Yeah. Yeah. So long, and, cow folks. Uh, so they they have their next meet. Uh, the seventeenth at one, at the Hearns against Air Force. Love support our troops, but sorry, <laughs> y'all got to lose. Uh, so excited to see that uh, season continues strong as it is. Basketball, uh, we played our biggest, most hated rivals, uh, and I think. If you're going to have a moral victory, that's a game you take a moral victory out of because compared to where we were last year at home with KU and they ran us out of our own building, uh, we didn't get the results we wanted yesterday, but we saw some signs of promise. Yeah. We we did. Go ahead, Cash. Uh, no. Yeah. We, I saw a lot of grit. And I saw a lot of fight. And I saw a lot of guys who were stepping up to make plays when plays had to be made. And you say, well, they lost by nine. You know, what really can that mean? Um, I'm, I mean, I don't want to talk any diss on our guys. I love our guys, but we were a little outgunned. I think, uh, I think, oh, Hunter there uh, posed a lot of issues for us. He literally is the perfect mismatch against the interior of Mizzou basketball. Um, I'm not saying that we can't fix that. I'm saying that he's right now the perfect mismatch against us. Um, and he was, he was going, he was going to work shit against us quite a bit. But what I liked was our guys were continually rotating. They were playing hard defense. They were they were playing off. They were playing offense as fast as they could. What I just saw was a lot of talented guys, a lot of young guys. Do you guys remember that breakaway Ant had um, where he should have been to the rack? And I think he felt the KU player closer to him than he was. So he checks that shoulder. When he checks that shoulder, he lightened up about a step or two. And that gave, I can't remember who it was for KU, just to swat him, right? Now, I think there should have been a foul called on that, but we know how the field house goes. Um, so I saw a lot of that. I saw guys making plays. Like I saw guys playing hard, have grit. They did not ever get down on themselves. But I just saw a KU team that was seasoned and bigger versus an MU team, which is talented, but maybe it's not all there yet. Yeah, I don't want to say that. KU came out flat because I feel like that's a discredit to yeah. how we came out. I mean, they, you know, Mizzou came out on fire those first, what, 12 minutes. Um, I mean, they they were playing pretty darn good. It wasn't until that, what, 17-2 to two run or something like that that yeah. KU went on that really, you know, once, I mean, once that, once KU starts making shots in that building, I mean, the crowd's into it. There's 16,000 people in there and that just... You know, some court advantage for a reason. Um, they, it's just difficult to to hold a lead like that on the road in an environment like that. Uh, yeah. The team is much more experienced than they were last year. But uh, guy, I mean, guys like Sean Eastman and you know Nick Honor, holy cow! Just they, the way that they've stepped up, especially Sean East, the way that he stepped up yes. and kind of filled 
I don't want to say he's filled a certain player's role, but he's kind of established his own role in this team. Um, he's definitely and, filled into like that one A guy. Like, right. We had that kind of with Kobe last year, and we needed someone to be that guy. And he he took the step from role player to like top dog. Yeah, and I was excited to see some of the other guys. You know, Bates was playing pretty decent there in the beginning of the game, but man, once KU turned it on um, and they went on that run, it it didn't really take the wind out of our sails because you know they got up by whatever it was fourteen, I think, at one point, and Mizzou kept battling back, and you know we get within seven or get within five, but they just couldn't quite get back over that hump, and you know it is what it is. It it stinks. <laughs> we have not won. Um, in Allen Fieldhouse since the turn of the century. I feel like they made that clear a dozen times yesterday, but <laughs> Coach Gates seems like he's optimistic about this rivalry um, and, and what's to come. So we're, we're still uh, in good hands. But let's talk before uh, tip-off. We, we found out that Caleb Grill's out five to seven weeks uh, with that hard foul he took going up for a dunk in the last game uh and then post game uh dennis gates talked about bill self and the culture and the program he's built in his 20 years of being at kansas and said hey check back in with me after being at mizzou for 20 years so after i heard that it was like hey that was a win for me you know to to know that coach gates is bought into mizzou he's not just looking to leave town as quickly as possible. You know, I'm sure he probably had opportunities after last season to go other places, but just to hear that from him was, was reassuring to me and, you know, help put things in perspective that this is only his fifth year of being a collegiate coach, head coach. Uh, and so he's, he's still learning. I think we, we see when you look at the box score, uh, you know, he really cut back on the minutes of the younger guys uh, just the environment and everything. Like he, he left the more seasoned guys in there, and so uh, it's 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 still just where's this team going to go? And I think you know the the three ways we had to go going into the game was hey we pull off the upset oh we're gonna be national champions would have been our attitude you know as you told uh, Clinton the pre-show like, Hey, probably would have broke Twitter with Mizzou MMA. Uh, how we beat Kansas. Oh, yeah. and then, then you have a competitive ball game that, you know, you make a few shots here or there, you might've got the win. And so you kind of get that, not, not a bitter, bad taste in your mouth, but uh, we can compete with them. And then we have last year's results where it was, Ooh, that, that was bad. Let's next game, you know? So, yeah. I think we we took the middle option there. Um, you know, we can compete with them. Just might be missing one or two pieces, or need a couple more shots to fall, obviously, to get that win. But uh, now they go to Casa side of the state for next Sunday at four o'clock at the Sprint Center against Seton Hall. Um, and looking at Seton Hall's. Uh, record and last few results they're not looking as an impressive as a team as i thought they were going to be going into that matchup so uh i would like to see a missouri tiger win coming out of there 
Yeah, I would too. And you think about it is you really you really need to go two and one in this stretch. We already dropped one. Seton Hall has if, if you go in three in this stretch, that is disaster for this season. Yeah. So you're you're right. We we, we need to go out there. We need to look good. Um we need to get the dub most importantly. And then we gotta go into bragging rights and I mean weird and things happen in St. Louis, don't they? Yeah. It'll be a huge, it'll yeah. be a huge opportunity for a rebound game. You know, I'm not to look past Seton Hall or anything like that, but no, yeah, you get it. You know, get back on the right track and you know, get your head on straight going to St. Louis and and keep that trophy home. Um, they they played so well in that game last year that it's kind of hard to not expect that. You know, yeah. for this next bragging rights game, you know, it's going to be a obviously much different team for both sides. Um, but thank goodness it's a neutral site game and, and we don't have to go to Illinois. So, yeah, looking forward to it. No, absolutely. All right, so next week we'll just have uh, wrestling and basketball recap and then uh, probably do a little bit heavier preview of the bowl game and then we'll probably take the following week off with Christmas weekend and maybe get a pre-show out before the bowl game. So uh, that's going to do it for this week. We greatly appreciate Clint coming on. Uh, I think we can probably oh. talk ball with him for a couple hours. Go ahead, Cole. One shout out. No certain. Congrats on your first uh, deer with a bow, young man. That's uh, that's impressive. It's Something not a lot man. of people get to do. So proud of you, man. Congrats. No. Uh, that's that's great to you know know he's gonna that fever's just gonna get get hotter, hotter <laughs> after hotter. that. So right. uh, congratulations to him, but. Hope everybody has a great week. Holidays, Christmas is fastly approaching, so hope you get your Santa shopping done uh, fairly quickly and not too hard on the credit cards. <laughs> but y'all have a great week, and as always, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Go Tigers. Y'all take care.